I always thought of free speech as a, as a left-wing liberal ideal. And very, very quickly, when I was talking about free speech and being an advocate for freedom of speech and expression, which by virtue of being an advocate for it, you are advocating people's right to say things that you might fundamentally disagree with. Suddenly, out of nowhere, that was a controversial position. And that's really surprised me. And, and that to be a, an advocate for free speech suddenly, suddenly has become a right-wing or perceived as a right-wing position. Tom, with Jonathan Pye, are you playing yourself? No. Um, no. Because some of the best actors are playing themselves, aren't they, sometimes? Well, all right. Let's put it... He is a fictional character. Mm. He doesn't exist. He's not me. I am. I do, do you say that in the mirror do, every yeah, day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am not. I am not him. I don't work as a BBC political reporter. I never have, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Um, but let's be honest... I mean, at the best of times, I'm not exactly what you'd call a method actor, right? It's, I don't have to, before I play him, go, you know, let's yeah. step into the... I put a tie on, I don't change my voice, yeah. I don't, you know, yeah. he, we're pretty comparable, right? And our politics are comparable. Um, uh, I think he cares a bit more about politics than I do, because he's a politico, I'm not a politico. Uh, I think he sees himself as an intellectual, whereas I... Don't think for a second that I am. Yeah. Um, but I understand that the the the, the lines lines blur mm. sometimes, particularly on Twitter, because sometimes I'm sort of playing in character. Sometimes it's me just going, "The fucking bus was late," like everyone else. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I understand that there's that sort of uh, excuse me that that sort of difficult people don't get it. But I I still find it weird. Like seven years, eight years on, people are like. You know, uh, people call me Jonathan, and that's totally fine in the street. Or Jonathan, you know, they, how would they know what my real name is? But I still find it weird that people can't get round their head. You go, uh, what I do is I fictionalised, I fictionalise a certain viewpoint and put it in the mouth of this character. Yeah. How people can't quite work out that it's fiction is yeah. bizarre to me. Is this a really interesting discussion then about? free speech because do you think you can get away with saying a bit more through a character like Jonathan Pye than if it was just you? That was quick. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, this is a discussion, I'm not setting you up. But <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean... Because you know you, I love you, talking you, about yeah, freedom yeah, yeah, of speech. Yeah, yeah, no, no, as do I. It's got me into trouble a few times. Um, <laughs> uh, um, well, yes, you can certainly do things with a fictional character that you can't do in your real life. But that's what fiction is, that's what sort of art is, right? Mm. You can explore things through a different viewpoint, uh, particularly through comedy. Comedy is a way, or satire is a way of, of looking at the world, but you use hyperbole and exaggeration and stuff like that. Um, so it, yes, it allows you some protection to say things that you wouldn't normally say because you're playing a character that mm. isn't you. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's, that's a free speech thing. I mean, do you get scared about getting cancelled? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In your but in, the, in this day and age, I think, I think whether you, we can debate the, the rights or wrongs or existence or not of cancel culture, but I believe that there is a culture of cancellation. Uh, and yeah, that there are certain things that I wouldn't touch. Like? Possibly. Uh, well, I would, no, I would touch them, but you, one has to be very careful that when you're talking about issues of, say, race or gender, uh, that whilst one can have an opinion and an informed opinion, you, you always have to take into account, you go, what I don't have is lived experience. And if you can take, as long as you take that into account, I think you can discuss most things. I think there is a, a debate that's happening around gender at the moment that would be... You have to decide sometimes what hills you're willing to die on, right? What, what subjects it is you're willing to... And you just go, I don't really have a desire or a huge amount of uh, knowledge to get involved in a debate about trans issues, right? Mm. You know, I just don't... I don't think it would do me any good and I don't know what I have to add to that debate, maybe down the line. I think, I think a few things have been interesting around that debate recently. What, what happened with, to Nicola Sturgeon was kind of like, ah, 
Okay, so this is... I think a lot of people don't think there's a debate to be had in, around that issue, and I think there is, because people are fighting about it. Mm. But I, d I don't know. I think, I think I would be mindful of getting into that minefield, and a lot of that would be self-preservation. Mm. Which is the opposite of freedom of speech, isn't it? Well, I could decide to engage in that, and I have the freedom to do it. I'm aware, though... But that suppressing it for fear of consequences, pushed from some place or agenda, does that not impact free speech? Yeah, it does. And I think, I think that's the issue around this debate is, even if I were to sit on the fence, if I were to sit on the fence on the debate, you'd get attacked from both sides. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. go on that, you get attacked as a bigot. And if you go on that side, you get attacked as a bigot. Yeah. And you just go, I don't want to, you know. I mean, I, I have, I've done some interviews before where I have spoken about free speech from, uh, I suppose, from a philosophical point of view, a rather absolutist kind of, you know. Uh, I wonder if I've softened on that a little over the years. Um, but even talking about free speech in itself is a controversial, can be a controversial topic, which, which is the one thing that really surprised me when Pi kind of kicked off. I always thought of free speech as a, as a left-wing liberal ideal, and very, very quickly when I was talking about free speech and being an advocate for freedom of speech and expression, which by virtue of being an advocate for it, you are advocating people's right to say things that you might fundamentally disagree with or even be offended by. Suddenly, out of nowhere, that was a controversial position, and that's really surprised me. And and that to be a, 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 a an advocate for free speech suddenly be, suddenly has become a right wing, or perceived as a right wing position mm. by certain members of the left. And you go, how did the left just give away free speech to the right? So now it's a now it's a, a banner uh, held by the right. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you said cancel culture before. You do think there's a culture of cancelling. Can you talk about that? Well, I think there, I think there, there is. Whether that cancellation is successful. I mean, if you look at sort of comedians these days, a lot of comedians are, if you, they've told an unsavoury joke, particularly normally taken out of context of a, a larger piece of work, yeah. there are calls for them to be fired or taken off the BBC or, you know, um, but you know that there, there are. Uh, we live in a sort of a bit more of a sensitive age. But people have gone to prison for, you know, jokes in the, this country. I mean, we, we can debate whether uh, there's something happened a couple of years ago, and it, it was really horrible, right? But it, someone had a bonfire party, and they put. Did you hear about this? No. And they they made a. Like a cardboard cutout of Grenfell Tower and put it on the the fire. I mean, really not a very pleasant thing to do. But they were, I think they were convicted of a hate crime. And I thought that that was rather odd. And I, it, it occurred to me a few years before I'd gone to a fancy dress party. And the theme of the fancy dress party was uh, bad taste. So you all had to dress up as something bad taste. I'm going to... Pretend I can't remember what I went as. But uh, as I opened the front door, the two people that were uh, hosting, they were both dressed up as buildings. And I was like, what, what are you? And they were like, we're the Twin Towers. And you go, oh, I'm a bit sick, but I guess that's the theme of the, the party. And it did occur to me when these people got arrested for burning a, you know, Grenfell, which was a disgusting, you know, not, not very funny thing to do, but you go, oh, my mates committed the same crime. Mm. They could and have got, it, they could have got done crime? for it. Well, I, I'd argue that it wasn't. It's just really unpleasant behaviour. Yeah. But I don't believe that they did it thinking, let's upset as many people as we can and let's, let's make the neighbours feel really uncomfortable. And yeah. they just weren't thinking. Mm. Um, but we've all made really sick jokes, I think, sometimes. Mm. Yeah. So I think, that, I, think there's a, I think there's a culture of... Um, just because I'm offended, it must mean I'm right, you know? Uh, and, and particularly with comedy, like offence and what makes one person laugh, 
like I went to see Frankie Boyle like a few years ago, man. And, and, Been trying and, to get him on the show for a while. Yeah. And, and, and it was really interesting, and it was a, it was an epiphany, and it, this was before Pie started, but it was a real epiphany about what comedy is. Mm. But I was sat watching Frankie Boyle, um, laughing a lot, and at one point he said something, and I howled with laughter, and the, the, I howled with laughter, and the guy next to me just was like, oh. You know, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That yeah. Bit, you know. And then about five minutes later, Frank Ball said something else. And I was like, whoa, that's too far. Yeah. And my mate next to me was howling with laughter. Yeah. And you go, there you go. It, just in that moment, yeah. it was like, ah, it all makes complete sense. It's all subjective. Yeah. Comedy and offence, the thin line between it is, so being offended by a joke, I mean, I remember in that moment going, oh, why was I offended by that joke? What is it in me? That is offended by that joke. Right. Yeah. I didn't think what 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 is it about Frankie Boyle that thinks he has the right to offend me? I automatically went, isn't that weird that I felt that over that joke, but I laughed at the I don't know Madeline McGowan joke or whatever yeah. the fuck it was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You go, I laughed at that, which is disgraceful, but I, you, you know. Yeah. Um, another thing happened as well uh, 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 with regards to free speech in comedy. Jerry Sadowitz. Uh, he was um, he did was doing two nights at Edinburgh this year, and on the and they cancelled on the second night was cancelled. This is the Pleasants, right? This is uh, who are the, I mean, they are known as you know comedy stalwarts in Edinburgh, um, and he referred to uh, Rishi Sunak as the P word and. Uh, I mean, it's Jerry Sadowitz, right? Mm. And he got cancelled the next day. Apparently, the reason he got cancelled is not because anyone in the audience complained. It was because the uh, front of house staff, you know, these students or whatever, moaned about it, said, we can't, you shouldn't have that, it's yeah. blah, blah, blah. And so the Pleasants cancelled him. And actually, uh, Jerry Sadowitz did absolutely nothing wrong. The only people that did something wrong was the Pleasants, because they didn't, inform their staff that there was content in here. It's Jerry fucking Sadowitz, right? Yeah. I mean, what the hell were you expecting? Anyway, on the back of it, he was cancelled. And then, of course, did three nights at the Hammersmith Apollo, so he wasn't cancelled. But I yeah. went to see that show, never seen him before, and I genuinely think it is the best stand-up show of it. I mean, he is a master, and he's deeply offensive, and he used exactly the same racial epithet towards... Uh, um, Rishi Sunak, and out of context, it was pretty grim. In context, it was pretty grim. And the show was just beautifully written, and it's it's either not to your taste or it isn't. But if you're complaining that Jerry Sadowitz is being offensive, if you came out of a Jerry Sadowitz gig and you didn't want to scrub yourself with wire wool, <laughs> he's, he's not had a good gig, right? Yeah. Um, but there is a culture, whether it's successful cancel culture, whether people do get cancelled or not, there is a, a drive to get them, you know, yeah, to make them a pariah. Mm. I mean, Jerry Sadowitz, it's all left-wingers going, Jerry Sadowitz must be cancelled. And I think the show was the most clearly left-wing liberal thing I've seen. You know, mm. it's clearly the artist doesn't believe what he's saying all the time, because if he did, the man's insane. Mm. It's this idea of taking comedy at face value, which is the opposite of how you should yeah. view comedy, in my view. Yeah, is comedy not that place where we preserve the extremes and things can be said in that environment and context that probably can't be said anywhere else? Absolutely. What I would say, though, is that uh, that just the defense of, it's just a joke, less and less stands up, you know? You, you, I, I think that- But isn't that their job? But of course. Yeah, but and you are one. <laughs> but genuinely unpleasant behavior, Yeah. genuinely uh, uh, a joke that targets someone that already is, uh, you know, for example, an ethnic group, if the target is their ethnicity or, mm. Um, a joke about race isn't always a racist joke, right? But mm. but um, just going, it's just a joke. Uh, more and more, I'm just going, yeah, that's not always enough of a defence. Yeah. 
Um, and I think there have been a few instances of late. I think I would defend Jimmy Carr's right to say that the joke that he did in the context that he did. But actually, in retrospect, you do get it's pretty unpleasant. It was a pretty unpleasant joke, I think. How do then we know what the line is? You don't. <laughs> you don't. George Carrin always used to say that the, the, uh, a comedian's job is to find where the line in the sand is that you shouldn't cross, and the comedian's job is to gently step over it, right? Yeah. But sometimes <laughs> comedians gleefully jump over it, and they don't care who they piss off. And, yeah. Um, I suppose there is a place for it, you know, there are, but... I think you have to be mindful as a comedian. You go, you're under a spotlight in a way that you weren't maybe 20 years ago, mm. right? You know, and, and you have to be aware that a joke can be taken out of context. And so you just, have, if you write a joke and you go, I, you're stupid if you're not aware, you go, that is going to split the room, right? So if you're going to split the room, make sure you're doing it for a, for a reason. I did a joke once about Jill Dando. It was a horrible joke, uh, deliberately so. And it really split the room. It was half groans and half like <laughs> laughing, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I referred back to it about half an hour later when I was talking about free speech and comedy. And you just go, that joke there, that joke, it was totally unnecessary. But half of you laughed, half of you didn't, and neither of you were wrong, right? Mm. Um, I just think you have a responsibility a little bit, which I think if you'd have asked me this question three years ago, I'd have gone, fuck it. Yeah. People are so stupid that they can't fucking tell what the da da da. I think I've mellowed a bit on mm. that, and you go, no, that I'm aware that I've got a large audience, and 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 here's another thing that that uh, I think is really important that I think I try to be responsible for. I'm aware that the content that I put out online is uh, like people can just come across it, um, they can just discover it, and then listen to it, and they might not know what it is. And therefore, you haven't got that social contract that you have with an audience that have paid 20 bucks to come and see you or uh, that have listened into your radio show or whatever it is. If, if it's just on someone's Facebook page, it might come up. I think I have a responsibility then to... I think I can go in harder with li the live shows. You can, you can really explore some more deeper stuff and, and, and knowingly and willingly offend the audience as long as you can win them back round. But I think online, I think I've sort of, I try and steer clear of being too controversial these days. Is there a reason for that? W one is I would like to keep the career I've got. Self-preservation. A little. Yeah. yeah. But others is, I, you know, I think, that, I think that's responsible in, in a way, you know? I mean, you know, and also, you know, I get a lot of like 17, 18 year olds going, you've switched me onto politics, man, blah, blah, blah. And you, yeah. you, know, you go, well, I kind of got a responsibility not to turn those 16, 17 year olds into cunts. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so, 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 yeah. but, but again, I think if you'd have asked me uh, three or four years ago, I'd have just been, ah, fuck it, you know. Mm. But I go, no, I, I think, I think uh, I've sort of mellowed with that free speech, absolutist kind of thing. What's the point in going around just pissing people off for the sake of it? Mm. Unless you've got something actually valid to say. Yeah. I don't want to be seen as a provocateur and I don't want to be a, a you know, uh, a, a shit stirrer, you know. Yeah. Whereas I think a few years ago I was a bit more, ah, fuck it, mm. you know, mm. throw a grenade and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, yeah. I'm really glad we've had this discussion. Harry and I were talking about it in the car on the way because we've almost... We haven't made the decision yet, but we're almost thinking about just moving away from death of the UK, politics, freedom of speech, cancel culture, the impact of the lockdown and, and all of that, which has been a lot of the dialogue we've had, but I'm really glad we've gone here. And the reason I chase this conversation is because I am looking for that line, maybe as my own guiding light as well, um, and there's two things you said um, which really struck. I want to pick up on the first one, which is you said you've got to know which hill to go to the top of and die on. Yes. And like, if there could have been a little moment where we could have paused life and I could have just had a few moments in the void to myself, that was a really nice moment because what you're... What's the point in blurting about gender and race just because everyone else is, just because you think your opinion is so important when it's actually, let's be honest, 
it's not, my opinion is not really worth anything. It's worth the same as yours, which is worth the same as the 70 bit million other people in but, this but, country. But also, if you, if you were to have in your head the solution to the transgender uh, pronoun, whatever, issue, uh, I don't think anyone's going to fucking listen no. to you, mate. No, no. <laughs> Do you know no, what I mean? Well, this is the thing. So, I so, think, so we, I over, think we overvalue our, the... I've thought this for a while, and I'll try and do this with myself, because the thing that you also said, which I thought was really wise, was you said, the Frankie Boyle two jokes, and you didn't go, oh, you're so offensive. You said, why am I offended, and what is it in me? And yeah. if the whole world could, instead of getting offended as a profession, could go, hmm, why am I That's offended? Me that did that. Yeah, let me yeah, look yeah, inside. Yeah. I think the world would be a better place. I, I, I think, I think, uh, uh, yes, a world, a world would be a better place. I also think just because you're offended, um, so <laughs> well, well, yeah. One, who gives a shit? Mm. But but two, um, I suppose it's another thing as well because because I was just saying about you know the defence of it's just a joke isn't a big enough uh, offence, and context and intent are really important around jokes. Mm. But just because you didn't intend to cause offence. You have to acknowledge, well, it did cause offence. And actually, if it caused offence and you didn't intend it to, well, then you didn't write the joke properly. Mm. If you intended to offence and you got it, that's fine. But, but um, I think there is also this, this, in so many aspects of our society, this uh, assumption of bad faith, right? So you go, you said something that offended me because it, I disagree with you on, uh, I disagree with the, the sensibilities of what you just said. You must be a fucking bigot. Mm. You, you, you must, you know, I'm, I'm offended, therefore, therefore I'm going to assume bad faith. Therefore, that's the yes. word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, if you yeah. took therefore out of it yeah, yeah, and yeah, said yeah. I'm offended and then yeah. you looked at why, yeah. but it's the turning it yeah. into a weapon. Yeah. yeah, and of course sometimes you are offended because you go, sorry mate, what you just said was demonstrably racist and yeah. I haven't got any time for that conversation. Mm. But sometimes you are just like, oh, I disagree with you on that, you know. Mm. I mean, I... I uh, it's really interesting when, when you sort of, it's slightly calmed down a little bit, but, but post-Brexit, you know, the idea of someone in your group, you know, I mean, I was always pretty, I've always been pretty balanced. It's like, I understand why people voted both ways, but, but I'm in the minority in that respect, I think. But, you know, most of my mates, because I live in metropolitan London, of course all voted to, to remain. But the idea, leave voter. Yeah, it's like a vaccine. He's a leave voter. It's like a vaccine. And, and, and also the assumption of bad faith. It must be uh, an immigration thing. It must be mm. the, the assumption of bad faith. And, 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 it, and it's also, it's tactically bad because what you're doing is there you're going, you're a bad person. Mm. I don't need to listen to you. If you don't listen to people, you can't persuade them. Yeah. And therefore you don't win referendums and mm. elections you're all there, there was a great thing i'm, I'm rambling i'm going okay. all over. yeah yeah um, but but uh keir starmer wrote a uh i don't know a little byline or a, a little piece in the sun i don't know a few months ago maybe a bit longer and all these labor lefties were going how fucking dare you fucking writing in the scum <laughs> and you go if keir starmer doesn't engage with sun voters you won't lose, you, you won't win the election. Mm. So what, what do you want? <laughs> Which one is it? Do you want their vote or don't you? Well, why, why would I want the vote of a racist? Because you want to win the election and they're not all racists, do you know what I mean? And mm. I, think that, I think there's that, that sort of, just that assumption of bad faith, don't talk to the enemy and I'm offended, therefore you must be the enemy yeah. as opposed to we just have a disagreement. Mm. So, so sometimes that feeling of, of, of offence is valid and needs to be acted upon, but I think it's acted upon so sort of ubiquitously mm. that it loses all that yeah. it's fucking meaning. Yeah, you if know? you comment on everything, then yeah, everything yeah. you say means nothing. Yeah. That's why I liked your hill analogy. Don't comment on that, it's out of your lane. Don't comment on, comment on that, that's out of your lane and no one cares. This is your lane. Yeah. Now, get on top of the hill. Or. You're, you're in, it's not really your lane, mate. You're a straight white bloke who has some serious thoughts about transgender people. But if you want to go down that route, fine. But you are going to, 
you're going to you're fall gonna on crash. your sword. You're going to crash and burn, mate. You yeah. know, and I just suppose it's the same with free speech and comedy. It's like I am all the go-to whenever a comedian says something awful and wants to be cancelled. LBC is always on the phone going, we know the guy that will defend this, <laughs> this bastard. So, so I, I'm on record. Uh, it was in the Metro paper because I'd done LBC and it was like, Jimmy Carr's joke, technically very good. <laughs> and you're like, well, I kind of <laughs> said that, but not really, you know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I go, they'll ring me up and you go, like with the Jerry Sadowitz win, it's like, can you go on and defend Jerry Sadowitz? You go, why would I go on LBC mm. and defend Jerry Sadowitz's right to call Rishi Sunak Apaki? Mm. I don't think I'm going to go on LBC this morning. <laughs> it's not a hill I'm willing to yeah, die on, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, uh, um, See, where, whereas again, I think two or three years ago, I'd be like, yeah, fuck, he's got every right to offend whoever the fuck he wants. Yeah. You know? no, well, you know, yeah. it's, it's not my fight. It's Jerry's, you know. Yeah, yeah great. <clears throat> I really, um, I'm really pleased we went there. And I just want to say one more thing, because I've been thinking this for a while. And I think, in a way, this is just a little bit of a plea to my audience, and I don't usually do this. But um, if there's 70 million people in this country, then each opinion is worth one unit and there are 17 million units. And just from I try and remember that if my ego yeah, gets yeah, ahead yeah. of me. Yeah. I have an opinion, it's worth one unit. Yeah. And if I think it's worth a million units, I've got a bit ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you, you, if you can find someone who is the polar opposite of you, don't try to win the argument try and let them win the argument mm. because i guarantee you'll learn something i guarantee mm. you'll either be what's the heart if they're right there is no harm in them persuading you you're wrong yeah. because they're right but if they're wrong hearing them out will make you be able to argue your case better the next time because you go i know what the arguments are against my argument if you listen mm. if you fucking start listening um, if you occasionally read, I mean, I love it when someone le leaves the Sun or the Daily Mail on the train. I'm never going to buy the fucking Daily Mail, right? <laughs> but it's really useful to every now and then just go, oh shit, this is what, I think the Mail is the, the, the largest read, mm. maybe second to the Sun. Read it every now and then, because then you yeah. fucking know what... <laughs> No wonder they're being, they're being fed this shit. Mm. Um, yeah, l l listen to your, yeah, listen to the disagreements. Mm. Don't block them out. Yeah. Like on Twitter, it's like, you see someone being a cunt, follow them. <laughs> follow them. Don't block them. But I want yeah. to know what they're saying. Yeah. <coughs> it's really useful. It's mm. a really useful rule of thumb. You yeah. Know? Yeah, when I was younger, before I was an entrepreneur, um, changing my mind, I felt was a real weakness. Yeah, yeah. And um, in business, especially, well, I think in er most areas of life, I think changing your mind is a strength. And I think that um, there's something I want to talk about that I changed my mind on almost overnight. Mm -hmm. And it's BBC versus Gary Lineker. Wow. Okay. So let me throw something at you, yeah. which might be off the left field to you. I don't yeah, know, yeah. but I'd love your thoughts on this. At first, when um, basically, the BBC stepped Gary Lineker down because that is what happened, yeah. I think. Yes, yeah. I, I was, my freedom of speech preservation trigger went off. This is outrageous. This is wrong. This is someone else. It's his own views, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, wait a minute. I'm an employer. I, I employ nearly 150 people. BBC employ Gary Lineker. Mm -hmm. Gary Lineker's got a contract with the BBC. Mm -hmm. He's got a financial fiduciary and brand responsibility to the BBC. Yep. None of us have seen what's in that contract. Yep. But they market themselves as impartial. And I thought, hmm, okay, so if my, one of my staff started blurting left, right and centre way outside of their lane, because Gary Lineker is as vanilla as you get and he's a football commentator, yep, yep. My, I think that could bring my brand into disrepute and I'm paying you one and a half million a year. And I saw John Caldwell, the you know, billionaire who I've interviewed, he was like, they were right to suspend Gary Lineker. He's broken his contract. BBC's tax funded. And I thought, maybe I've changed my mind. Ultimately, Gary Lineker is employed by the BBC. And if there's a line in that contract which stops him from doing what he did and he did it, then they were right to suspend him. What do you think? Uh, I would be very surprised if he has 
actually broken his contract because there's a couple of things. One, he's a freelancer. Uh, but he, will, he will have a contract with You still have a consultant's yeah. agreement, don't yeah. you? Yeah. I think he is, uh, in this day and age, y you are more than just... Uh, you're more than just who you are, i.e. you can be a presenter on this and you can still go on your personal Twitter account and express an opinion. Uh, I think there are a couple of things. Uh, if he was presenting the news... Uh, that would be, different. Diff that would be yeah. different. If he was presenting the football and on air he said, you know, he mentioned it. I don't know, somehow mm. slipped in slyly about this awful immigration. But, you, you know, like mm. there's there's a group of uh, black players on the on the field and he goes, well, that wouldn't happen under Suella Braverman's. Uh, do you know what I mean? Then you go, yeah, you're out, mate. Yeah. You're, here to, you're here to do the football. Mm. Um, I would also say... I would argue that he wasn't, you know, you, you know the phrase Godwin's Law, mm. that, that, that every debate always ends up referring to someone else as a Nazi and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and it, yeah. It's everywhere and I, and I hate it. But actually what he said was, you know, some of the rhetoric here is, is pretty similar to some 1930s mm. rhetoric. He wasn't calling anyone a Nazi. No. He wasn't going, this is the action that led to the Holocaust. He's going, yeah. can we just watch our language here, is essentially what he was saying. I don't think it was that unreasonable. Uh, to say, uh, and also Lineker is kind of known as, uh, yes, an ambassador for football, an ambassador for BBC, an ambassador for Walker's Crisps, but he's also known as someone who takes in refugees and someone that is a bit vocal on Twitter and is a bit of a loony lefty, if you like, or whatever. Um, I think that's part of his brand as well, all-round good guy who doesn't mind immigrants. Mm. Uh, I would, I'd defend him uh, quite. And if you look at, let's for example go Andrew Neil, who was you know major in the uh, player in the in the news and the current affairs uh, of the BBC. You know, presenting this week and this and presenting their election coverage. He's the editor of the Spectator, right? Which is obvious. You know, writing for the Spectator, obviously a right wing. Tory bias, that's totally allowed. You're allowed Sir Alan Sugar, who, who is a major player in the, you know, The Apprentice, blah, blah, blah. He's allowed to go on, going these fucking loony lefties, mm. blah, 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 you know. Mm. So I think there's, there is uh, an hypocrisy at work there that, you, uh, that I would say. Um, Can I just add something to that? Please, 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 please. I'm, I'm learning as well, and I wanted to be able to disprove my own argument because I think that shows balance. Um, but... One of the reasons I chose to be an entrepreneur yeah. and not be employed by anybody else yes. and not take a load of money from sponsors yes. is so I can do and say what I want. And if well, I don't want to do and say what I want, well, or I, I want to take the millions, <laughs> if I take the millions, that money comes with a price yes. and I can't just gas my mouth off. Well, true, but I think, I imagine, Lineker has many times been offered a, can we have a exclusive contract with the BBC? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, I'm freelance. I'm doing BT Sport, I want my Walker's crisps, blah, blah, blah. And I'd like to go on Twitter every now and then. And uh, I don't think he's ever said anything that extreme. No. It was just very easy this week to go, oh, that's extreme, because there is that Godwin's Law parallel mm. of everyone going, oh, Suella Braverman's a fucking Nazi. It's like, mm. that's not what he said. So I understand why there was a bit of a pounce on it. But uh, uh, I, I don't think he's... I don't think he'll have turned out to have broken his contract. And also, their guidelines yeah. are so weak-ass and so vague yeah. when it comes to Twitter and Facebook. And I think Gary's turned around and you go, show me where I've broken my contract. Mm. And the Director General's gone, all right, you can do match of the day on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, see yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it looks like there's pressure from the top. It, everyone I've spoken to this week who has met or knows or works with Tim Davey, not anyone at the BBC, I would, wouldn't dream of it, say so he's a lightweight, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And, and, and the Director General, by his actions over the last week, has done more damage to the BBC than Gary Lineker has done with one tweet. I yeah. mean, I mean the, the, the BBC has... Yeah, it's on its fucking knees. Uh, uh, um, 
because the man at the top doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Right. And he's clearly, you know, let's be honest, he sorted out a loan for Boris Johnson. He's, he's stood as a Tory MP before. He's, you know, um, and there's nothing new in that. The, the, the leader at the, B, the BBC is always put in place by whatever government is in at the time. Mm. But um, I think the Director General's scored a massive own goal for a soccer <laughs> analogy because everyone's now looking at him going, yeah. he's clearly a fucking cunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's really bad is I'm, I'm doing a radio show for the BBC at the moment, <laughs> so I, I have absolutely no idea when this goes out whether uh, I'll, I'll be employed by them, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I certainly haven't had a contract telling me I can't slag him off. So, no. Yeah. Yeah, this, I'm finding this fascinating because Harry and I have talked a couple of times. I put out a, a solo episode on this and I don't normally put solo episodes out on stuff that's in the news. And Harry's just like, isn't this just a load of hot air? I mean, you know, it's, is it anything? And in some ways, it's nothing. But in some ways, it's everything. It, in some ways, it really is. It really shines a light on the relationship between Number 10 and the BBC. Yes. It really shines a light on... on when when the director general says he's passionate about impartiality, is does impartiality does mean that? impartiality, or does impartiality mean not pissing off number ten too much? Right, yeah. because that's a different fucking matter. Yeah, there's a big difference between impartiality and then, uh, you know, holding you know power to you know, um, you know, putting power in the spotlight and questioning it. Mm. Um, I, th I think it is sort of a, a little bit of a, a of a of a big moment because also finally someone has found a, 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 an accurate way to compare this government to the Nazis in a, in a not throwaway way, you know, because mm. actually people are now looking at the rhetoric of Suella Braverman, stop the boats, yeah, and and we've got billions of people coming here, and you know, um, you know swarms and you know mm. and dehumanizing these people it's not stop stop the women and children fleeing war it's stop the boats you know we're, we're, mm. we're not acknowledging it's human beings i i well i've said it you mm. know i i think his statement was pretty on the money mm. so with media is the bbc fucked because the head doesn't know what he's doing like you said or is it because mainstream media is fucked and being disrupted. Well, it's a little bit of all. I mean, the BBC is is this. I mean, I love the BBC, and and and, and I think it is a massive ideal, and I think it would be a real shame if if it was moved too far from the the model that it uses right now. Uh, um, but it is sort of a, a a broadcasting beer moth from a from another age, yeah. you, know, you know, and 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 it sort of has to adapt to kind of to kind of move forward um, what was the other part of your question sorry <laughs> well the is it being disrupted is it out of date is it the, the mainstream media is dying not that the bbc is dying a little bit i mean if you look at um you, you know uh uh print journalism i mean that's fucked. yeah that's totally because it's an old school kind of way of, of doing it yeah but i think uh, and also when we talk about the bbc let's be honest about this actually what we're talking about is we're talking about the director general and uh, some middle management, mainly when we're talking real news and current affairs, when we're talking balance. I mean, if you look at the BBC, it's thousands and thousands of programme makers, many of them massively talented, hugely experienced, and working for less money than they would if they were working for fucking ITV or anywhere else, right? Mm. So, so it, it, it's a danger to just kind of think of the BBC as just the BBC. I think we're talking about a specific section of the BBC. Um, so I suppose it is fucked. I hope it isn't, you know. Um, uh, it, it, there's, no, there's nowhere else like it on the planet for, for, for news and for sport and, well, sport maybe not so much, but radio. Um, it's the only place in the world where there is such a thing as radio comedy. Yeah. It doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, it do, I suppose with the podcast now, it, it's a bit more ubiquitous, but it's kind of, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's fucked. Mm. It's fucked. And, 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 and what's been interesting, I think, is, is you know, 13 years of, of Tory rule, don't get me started, but you go, I mean, I wouldn't say the final nail in the coffin is in the NHS, but it's there, poised with a hammer. Um, the BBC has been, you know, undermined 
by, I mean, every single government for the last sort of 20, 30 years, but it looks like it's on the way out. It looks like after 12 years of uh, um, the Tories, they're finally at a point where public opinion is that the licence fee is outdated and needs to be removed. Public opinion is kind of with them on that, I think. I remember the first day David Cameron came in, and I can't remember who the culture secretary was who he'd just appointed. I think it was Jeremy Hunt. And it was the first day they were in, and it was an interview with Jeremy Hunt. And I actually went, well, that's refreshing, because at least he's admitted it. But he just went, look, let's be honest, the BBC is against Tory ideals because it's, you know, a... Uh, uh, publicly funded, blah, 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 and we'd much... And, and he was really honest, just going, yeah, we, it's not really our... Not, not really our thing, the BBC. And you mm. go, well, sort of 12 years later, yeah, it's sort of on its last legs, mm. I think. Mm. A lot of BBC chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some interesting people. What we like to do on the show is just talk about four or five interesting people. They've either been on the show... Yep. Or they might be connected in some way. Like I might, I'm going to talk about one other comedian, for example. Yep. Just whatever you want to say. So the first thing is: Is Katie Hopkins a net positive or net negative for society? She's been on the show twice. She blows up on our show. What do you think? I got retweeted by Katie Hopkins once, and I thought, oh, fuck. I thought, oh shit. Um, and I remember we had a little bit of a, a back and forth. And then out of nowhere, suddenly, I had all these tweets, you know, going, oh, fucking Jonathan Pye from her or whatever. So I've, I've had a, this sort of, a little bit of in that. She's not to my taste, shall we say. Mm. I think anyone that is deliberately provocative, if that's your career, just deliberately just shit-stirring. Um, yeah, I don't have... Yeah, I, I don't know what I can say about Katie Hopkins, really. But but uh, what I can say about Katie Hopkins is I don't agree, I don't think I've ever agreed with much she has to say. I don't think she has much of value to say because I think it comes from a place of, of, of being trying to be deliberately provocative rather than anything interesting to say, anything to add to the fucking debate. She, she can be funny. <laughs> I'll give her that. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think she views herself now as a comedian. Well, I mean, God help us all. <laughs> I think she has done some stand-up. She's stand -up, coming onto your turf. No, I mean, no. Yeah. no and, and fucking hats off to her. And if, there is, and if there's a, an audience for it, and if there is, you know, fine. But mm. I think she is, uh, she is a very would be, I think, I just think there's something sometimes a bit dangerous with someone that is just willing to just, mm. but there's something fucking ballsy about it as well. And, yeah. you know, um, yeah. I, I haven't really ever given Casey Hopkins much thought, if wow. I'm honest. Oh, well, <laughs> something new here then for you, Tom. And on the note of someone who, let's say, is prepared to say those controversial yeah. things, Andrew Tate. So Andrew's been on the show, blew up on our show, and... Why do these people blow up? What, what, I mean, like, what, they just, like, get fucking arsey about something? No, as in millions of views... Oh, I see, oh, I see, oh, I see. Tens I see. of millions of views and downloads as opposed to 10,000 or 100,000 or 200,000. So blow up as in they, they get ten times the reach. As well, I mean, that, Katie that, Hopkins that, but, that's, but that's why Katie, but Katie Hopkins has made a success. That's why I find it's like... Sorry, you, you thought I meant you, they got you, angry on yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I mean... She's, like a bit she's, more made, she's made a career out of being fucking controversial and blah, blah, blah. And therefore, it's like, well, this is this is successful for me. And therefore, if you, you keep going yeah. down that route, and then after a while, it just becomes disingenuous because you're just mm. fucking picking fights for the sake of it. But like I say, I don't, you know, I don't follow her work. Andrew no. Tate. So yeah, Andrew Tate. I didn't want to just ask the usual question, do you like Andrew Tate or not? So let's talk about this, if you don't mind, Tom, which is his impact on masculinity, because mm -hmm. there are probably, it's not an exaggeration to say, millions of men out there that, let's say, feel more in touch with their masculinity because of what Andrew Tate stands for. He's obviously now currently um, detained. 
What, what is a modern man and what do you think Andrew Tate's impact on masculinity has had? Is it toxic or is it good to bring these men to be real men? Oh, I think it's toxic. Oh. I think what he's got to say is toxic mm. because, again, I don't think it comes from a place of genuineness. From what I've seen of him, I go, you're just fucking talking... <laughs> <laughs> It just, you know, I've seen some of his video and, and what's it, there is clearly some fucking lying going on because the, the odd clip I've seen of him, he's there sort of always showing you around his house, but he sort of goes, well, we're going to turn this bit into a Ferrari, uh, into a garage for my Ferraris. You go, well, there's no garage there or Ferraris. So I, I don't know, there's something weird going on there. I've got to be honest, I mean, I've got no time to be talking about him philosophically when clearly... I mean, he's definitely a misogynist, right? He's, he, he's, he's a self-proclaimed misogynist. Would that be correct? I don't know if he's a self-proclaimed misogynist. I haven't seen um, anything from him that I go, that isn't being deliberately misogynistic in a way that you're, you're trying to pretend that this empowers men. But what, there is a problem with young, disaffected men in this country mm. Uh, uh, and, and I think sometimes these people, there is a, therefore a void that needs filling, mm. right? These, the, these young men need direction uh, uh, and mm. can feel lost in a society where, uh, where society is telling them that you are an imp- you're an oppressor. You're, you know, by virtue of your gender, your sexuality and your skin colour, you are an oppressor. I don't think that's healthy, even if it's true, which I don't think it is, but even if it's true, it's not healthy mm. uh, uh, for, for young men to grow up like that. Um, but to take that and go, yeah, I should just choke her and fuck her. And mm. you're just like, no, that's not helpful, mate. Um, and you're making a lot of money from, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't see that he has anything of value to say. He has nothing that I've seen. The first time I ever heard of Andrew Tate, this is how out the loop I am, is when Greta Thunberg tweets about him. Ah, that's very recent. Yeah, Yeah. but since then, I've gone back and had a look, and and I haven't seen anything that I get. Even, I mean, a stop clock is right twice a day, right? So, yeah, I've seen him say things that you go, yeah, that is true. And that that little bit of advice there, uh, a young man would be well, well advised to take that advice, but... That diamond amongst all this fucking shit, uh, for, for, from my point of view, no, no I, 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 I can't... But t- tell, tell me I'm wrong. I mean, you know, it's difficult to defend him right now, though, uh, yeah. because he's up on multiple rape charges. And by the sounds of it, I mean, innocent until proven guilty and massively, of course, a huge believer in that. But he sounds like a bit of a cunt to me. Well, I'm I'm the interviewer, so I'll, I'll no fair enough. I, I, well, I mean, obviously, you you know a lot more about him, and yeah. you've met the guy, and spent a lot of time uh, with and, him, and, and therefore, yeah. I'm sure you have a a, a different view. Like I say, well, I, I have seen yeah. a minimal amount of his stuff, but from what I've seen, I I, I, I can't see mm. the value in it. Okay, so but, but he is clearly tapping into something that is a problem that does require. Uh, solutions mm. you know so let's talk about that quickly then this problem which is what is it emasculation or um what is it you said about um you know a lot of these young men maybe they're lost um i guess i can't remember a time in life where identity is so vague now so well, I mean, what I th- is I think, a man? What th- is a modern that, man? I think that is. That, that, I mean, there is this whole thing with sort of identity politics and people being able to identify as as, as uh, whatever the fuck they like. And, and I'm not talking from necessarily from a gender point of view there, if that sounded glib. But you can, as a straight white man, I can identify as queer if I want to, because uh, you, queer kind of means anything. You got kind of you know. Mm. A lot of queer people would would dispute what I just said there, but I've I've yeah. seen it happen, yeah. right? And what you do by that is you go, I'm, I'm making myself interesting, and I'm making myself uh, somewhere on the side of that sort of uh, perceived victimhood, uh, um, because we're told that being straight and white and male is bad. I don't know if that's quite. I'm, I'm saying that in very simple terms. 
uh, and I don't think I don't think that's helpful. But but we are obsessed with that sort of identity and. I mean, I always thought, for me, always being liberal uh, and, and, and left, it was always about sort of finding where our commonality was before we found out where our differences of opinion would be and about bringing people kind of together. And uh, it might be a cliche, but sort of seeing the world from a colorblind sort of point of view. And I don't really care what your sexuality is. It's none of my fucking business who you fuck. I don't care. Um, uh, you know, all of that kind of thing, to now it's like, it's the number one kind mm. of thing. It's like, you know, you have your gender pronouns on your yeah. on your Twitter thing. You know, I am a, a woman, I'm a, I identify as, a, I'm g proudly gay, you know, I'm anti-fascist. You go, who the fuck isn't? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What, what are you writing that down for? I, I think that's the default position, right? Mm. If you're a fascist, write it down, please. <laughs> let's, let's assume everyone else isn't, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and it it becomes so. If, I mean, the, the case in point, And again, I'm not trying to be provocative here. It's just a, it's just sort of a, an example. But you go. It used to be LGB, LGBT, LGBTQA, A plus, and you go. So, so we're we're getting to a point where everyone is being pigeonholed into. So it, it means the world becomes about the individual and not the collective. That's sort of the natural end, is that we all identify as individuals. Well, we all are. Surely the aim is to see where we have commonality. And I think uh, uh, all these labels and, and uh, self-identifying labels, although really helpful for certain sections of society to, to make them feel, you know, included, uh, you sort of... It's really difficult to kind of go, oh, poor straight white young boys growing up because people go oh yeah but it's difficult fucking growing up right mm. no matter what you're it's difficult growing up as any gender sexual you know everyone's life experience is unique right so you can't make judgments about an individual based on those things you can make judgment about them collectively you know, mm. I'm rambling. That's all right. <laughs> so we're 2-0 down on Katie Hopkins and Andrew Tate. That's fine, because we can come back. Jordan Peterson. Do you have any well, thoughts on Jordan? I, Jordan Peterson's interesting, because he's, he, to a certain extent, has, uh, uh, is, is filling the same void that Andrew Tate is, right? Essentially, and he, you know, he would admit that, that essentially his audience uh, and his followers, for want of a better word, uh, uh, you know, young mm. men. Um, the problem with Jordan Peterson is he has a lot of value to say, but if I were to tweet a clip of Jordan Peterson saying something smart, intelligent that I completely agreed with, I'd get fucked because everyone would go, why are you retweeting Jordan Peterson? You go, well, I'm not, I'm just retweeting. He's got something really interesting to say. Well, you can't because uh, everything he says must be, you know, uh, awful because a lot of people fucking hate him, right? I, 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 I find him articulate. I've, I've listened to a lot of his stuff. I'm lucky enough, I suppose, to be in a position uh, from an intellectual point of view where I can go, oh, I really agree with him on that. And then he'll say something else and I'll go, that's fucking stupid. Next. Oh, well, that, that's it. Enjoy. I, yeah. I, I think he's got a lot of value to say. I think, you know... Why is he I, so hated then, do you think? Well, it, it started off with the sort of the trans thing, didn't it? That he refused to be forced uh, to use gender pronouns, uh, 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 although he said that he, he would, if someone asked him to, he was just like, I don't want it to be legislated for because you can't legislate the enforcement of language. Um, I believe yeah. that's what he was saying. Um, so already he's get, starting off on the wrong foot, right? Because <laughs> he's talking about that, that particular debate. But um, I don't know. I don't know really why he's, he's that that hated. I mean, but he will sort of come out with, you know, he'll, I've seen him, you know, totally debunk 
the you know the fact that there's global warming going on, and you get to the end of it, and I go, well, you're fucking insane. That's wrong. Uh, do you know what I mean? But I'll listen to it. Mm. But again, a lot of people think that if you're wrong or if you're, you're saying something that if someone's saying something that you fundamentally disagree with, that they must be evil. I think there again is. I think there's an assumption. Therefore, it's that therefore. Yeah, word yeah, again. yeah. There's that assumption of bad faith with, yeah. with him. I think he's. I think he's really. I think he's very interesting, mm. uh, and I certainly, I certainly don't see why. I'm sure I will have heard Katie Hopkins and Jordan Peterson in the same sentence by some lefty, of which I am one. <laughs> and you go, I don't think they're comparable. Mm. You know, I, d I don't think he's clearly an intellectual. Whether his intellect is right or wrong all the time, but but mm. I, you know, I'd happily go for dinner with Jordan Peterson, mm. as long as no one packed me. <laughs> <laughs> is Ricky Gervais uncancellable? Well, uh, yes, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, if we've just spoken a lot about Lineker. Lineker is uncancellable because mm, he's a millionaire. It doesn't fucking matter if he loses his job at the BBC, he's set up for life and whatever. Mm. Ricky Gervais I, is uncancellable in the sense of, you you can't take away his money and success and his awards. I, there might be a point where he says something where Netflix go, fuck off, mate. Do you know what I mean? But I can't see it. Mm. Um, yeah, he's, he's, in, he's in a very uh, lucky position in the sense that, that there are some jokes that he does that I wouldn't do. And there are some jokes that he does that I wouldn't do because you go, I am cancellable. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So he can do jokes you can't, you mean? Or you wouldn't, not that you can't, that you wouldn't want to try? Well, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think so. So is it the money that makes one uncancellable? I, th I think, I think. Because you can afford to be cancelled, so therefore. So therefore it doesn't matter yeah. if, you, if you, can, you, can, you can not carefully step over that line, you can jump across mm. it because you go, I've, I'm all right. It, I'm sure Ricky Gervais would be really fucking pissed off if for the rest of his life he could never make but he'll, he'll always have an audience mm. he will always be able to tour in unless until venues start going well you can't have him but he's he is uncancellable he is the most successful comedian on the circuit right mm. now um uh yeah i think he's uncancellable mm. so let's talk about money then in comedy it's not on my list of questions but i'm actually interviewing um later today um banksy's main inspiration an artist I've bought some work off called Black Lerat. And I want, I love talking about money. Mostly because I actually really like money. Mm -hmm. And like you, we were talking before camera and 17 years ago, I was completely broke and I couldn't afford to go out. And I remember I got a girlfriend and I, I wouldn't accept going out with her to, because I couldn't afford to buy yep. the, the food. And in the end, for about 18 months, she pretty much funded all of our dating. Mm -hmm. And if you talk about emasculation, for me, that was it. I, I've had that very, very same experience with with a couple of uh, a couple of partners that that it just feels really uncomfortable. Shame. You just go, yeah. I can't take you out for dinner. Yeah. Can, can you buy me a pint? <laughs> you know, and it, yeah. it, it's not conducive to a very uh, yeah. It's not. It's not. Mm. I mean, money is like money isn't the most important thing in the world. But when you don't have money. It fucking is, yeah. Because everything else is dictated around that, and and therefore your mental health suffers because you can't. I mean, I I, I still every time I take money out at a cash point, I just go I grin <laughs> because I spent thirty years of being at the cash point just going just ten pounds, give me ten pounds, please, because I didn't know what was in my fucking account, you mm. know. And that that if that ten pounds came out, well, I can have lunch today. Do yeah. you know what I mean? So now you just go. Oh, let's call it 40. Yeah. You, do you know what I mean? Um, so like I was saying, just like you said, just before camera, you go, I think I'm fucking loaded because mm. I'm not poor anymore. Uh, and, and, and therefore, what's interesting is I've sort of hit a point where you go, well, I can af always afford dinner and I can always afford to take 40 quid out of my, the cash point. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not, when it comes to finances, I'm not ruthlessly ambitious in that respect. You just, I'm just like, oh. Mm. I can afford a pint, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, London prices—you need a fucking mortgage. <laughs> <Yeah. right>? so. <laughs> so, 
for 50 million quid, would you have a glow? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. Yeah. Yes, I would. Yeah. Would you, Next. Would, all right. Would, yeah. Yeah. Marry Katie Hopkins. Yeah, uh, 50 million? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, fine. All right. So, um, would you rather... Um, be this descended very quickly <laughs> into, into pub chats. <laughs> Which is the way it always goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you rather be a critically acclaimed comedian, globally recognised brilliant comedian, and broke, or 50 million cash in the bank and 10% net income a year from that and regarded as a shit comedian? Well... I think if you were to ask the majority of the comedy world what they thought of me, I think I already am regarded as a shit comedian. <laughs> I'll take the case. Okay. <laughs> Five million. For, for, for me to be regarded as a shit comedian, well, I've got five million in the bank. <sighs> no, well, no, because... Oh, we've got near your... Bottom figure. Well, no, I mean, five million is it is life changing. I'd never have to work again, and I could actually do something useful and good with it. You know, might be able to. I don't know. Fucking. I don't know. You know, you, you, that's enough money to be able to demonstrably help some other people. But I think to be known for the rest of my life as a shit comedian, five million isn't enough money because you go, well, where, where's my ambition gone then? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I. It, it, I'd, because if, if I had five million pounds in the bank, I'd still want to work because mm. I think I've still got something to sort of give. But if there was five million pounds there and a certificate on the wall that went, you are a shit comedian yeah. and nothing, can, nothing no matter how hard you work, everyone's always going to think you're shit. You go, well, I've got, all right, I've got money in the bank, but I've got nothing to give now. Mm. <laughs> this is fun. More, more. Yeah. <laughs> so I think... Every profession is a form of art. I do. I used to be an artist. I think business is art. There's a great Andy yeah. Warhol quote about business and art. Um, so talk about the business of comedy and where the art and the business meet. And is there a point where you won't do that because it's a sellout? And is there a point where you go, I'll fucking do that for the money? Absolutely. And, and, and what's interesting is, is that I mean, I run a business. Jonathan Pye is a business. I'm in charge of all my own social media. I'm in charge of, I mean, I do have an agent, but for years I didn't. So I'm, I still end up sending my own invoices out because I, like I like to know where everything is at. And I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to Jonathan Pye because it's all I've got mm. and it's my fucking retirement. And it's afforded me a modicum of success. So, so I, I, I do in some respects run it as a business. It's really important that the character is a, is a socialist with uh, integrity and some anger issues and whatever, <laughs> but he is, you know, he, if I were to be doing adverts for, you know, and paid promos on my Instagram, or blah, blah, blah. I think it would degrade mm. the brand, for want of a better word. I think of Jonathan Pye as a brand. I know it's very management speak. Uh, uh, and therefore, I would have to be very careful with uh, selling out. But there have been times where you go, that's, that's a really nice lot of money. And I don't think that that brand damages my brand. Um, so, yeah, th th there, is, there is that, that element. Mm. My business model is that my money is made for my live tours uh, and therefore everything else is kind of just like, it's just generating free content to get more audience mm. to watch the free content so that every couple of years I can go, would you mind spending £20 to come and see me live? Right? Mm. Uh, uh, Are you and, on tour anytime soon? I am on, tickets will be on sale for my tour by the end of this month. Which right, well, then, well, did their life now then, tool? JonathanPie.com, uh, uh, um, yeah, buy some tickets. Um, UK tour, is it? UK tour, yeah. Um, and it's in next, next January and February. Yeah. Uh, which is very exciting, but also gives me a year before I've got to actually, you know, write the thing. <laughs> but so, so yeah, I, I'm very careful not for my, for my audience to not feel like they're being advertised at except for every two or three years where I 
just keep going. Here's yeah. my poster, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that's important to me. And, and I suppose if I'd have done it differently, I might be a millionaire by now. I could easily, uh, not easily, but I, I could have made a lot more money out of him. Um, but I suppose a lot of the time I've chosen not to. Mm. What would you say is your biggest regret? With, with regards to... Anything. Oh, Christ. I mean, I'm here, I'm where I am. You're always where you are because of the mistakes and the successes you've made, right? So there aren't many. Uh, 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 you know, I had 20 years of, 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 of being desperately poor and you go, well, it would be nice to go back in time and change that, but I wouldn't be here if I hadn't had that, you know? Uh, um, I think there are, you know, my biggest regret, I don't know. I honestly don't. Ask me on my deathbed. <laughs> Normally, I always think on your deathbed, I bet most men, it's about, oh, I should have fucked her. <laughs> <laughs> Surrounded by your family. <laughs> oh, God, I should have. <laughs> what about your biggest failure? Uh, well, my acting career, really. <laughs> But, but that feels like it might have a renaissance. You know, I think uh, uh, I, I did a little bit of work on a film last year and Pi has opened some doors for me. So, so, so that was always a regret. And, and I suppose there's a, there's a regret that, that, that I'm thought of as a political kind of commentator and I'm just like, I just want to be an actor, you know, you know but uh, yeah, I don't know. Those have stumped me. Those mm. questions. Good. <laughs> <laughs> this show is called Disruptors. This is yeah. the last question. What does the word disruptive mean to you? Well, if you're talking in a positive sense, I suppose you mean that there's, there's a sense of, you know, sometimes just shaking stuff up a bit is, 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 uh, is good. And, and, and to question accepted norms is, is always usually quite a good thing. Yeah. Uh, um, I suppose we, we, from, from my point of view, I think, you, you know, uh, I like to sort of disrupt my audience sometimes. Like if you, if you, if you come and see a live show, I, like the first half is always what I would call the low hanging fruit, right? You go Boris Johnson, you know, Trump, the fucking Tories, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But then there's about halfway through the audience, through the show, you just, shine a mirror up you go right now you fuckers <laughs> you guardian reading wankers do, do you know what I mean yeah. and you can feel that oh shit and you go well I've earned the right because mm. you know that I'm with you because yeah. we agreed on all of that didn't yeah. we right now yeah you fuckers <laughs> and I think that I think that's where I suppose I I disrupt mm. it's very weird that if you ask right-wing people what you know what's Jonathan Pye's politics where well, he's left-wing you ask sort of woke guardian readers what's Jonathan Pye's politics well he's right-wing isn't he because he believes in free speech and all that right-wing nonsense mm. you know it's very strange so yeah. it's quite nice I suppose I'm, I'm disruptive in that respect because mm. most left-wing comedians are just left-wing comedians aren't mm. they I think I'm a left-wing comedian who's not afraid to just go and there are loads of people out there doing it but you know I'm, I'm not afraid to have a go at the Guardian readers as mm. well. And what's your YouTube channel? YouTube channel, I don't know, it's Jonathan Pye. Yeah. Jonathan Pye, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, website, jonathanpye.com. This has been fun, Tom. Thank you It's very been much. really lovely. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers, mate. Cheers.